Welcome to Checking In, the podcast that looks at the people, the issues, and the trends shaping the dynamic and exciting hotel business. We sit down with leaders, hoteliers, and industry experts as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping hoteliers better understand and affect positive change to grow their businesses. Now, here is your host, editor, and publisher of Hotelier Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Bonnie Strome to the Checking In podcast. Bonnie is the GM of the Park Hyatt Toronto, where she has recently been working to oversee the multi-million renovation of the Toronto landmark. She's been with the hotel since 2013, and prior to that served as GM at the Park Hyatt sister property, the Hyatt Regency Toronto, where she started as director of rooms. While architecture and product enhancements are of the utmost importance in the hotel industry, Bonnie has always believed that a hotel must have a soul. She functions from the thought that hotel guests should not only feel welcome, but that their next request is anticipated long before it's spoken. Her formula over the years has been quite simple. The perfect pairing of skill and passion yields great results. Welcome, Bonnie. It's so great to see you after uh, such a long period. Thank you, Rosella. It's nice to be here and uh, very excited to talk about our uh, what's been my passion project for the last several years. Yeah, it's um, it's really kind of funny, I suppose, that when you launched the renovation, it was just before the pandemic. So you actually, I think you chose a perfect time to do the renovation because um, not only did it keep you busy, but also with everything drying up on the hotel landscape, it just made kind of perfect sense to be doing it during a, a slower time. So um, I'd love to hear more about the actual renovation. And I thought maybe we could start there. Um, I know it's taken a long time, but can you walk us through what the process has been like and what you wanted to accomplish with the, with the refacing of this beautiful, iconic property? Yes, absolutely. The the, the renovation planning, uh, as you said, couldn't have been better timing. And uh, But the, the planning dated back uh, far before the pandemic started as we uh, looked to reposition this hotel to be a competitor in the luxury market. And uh, the Park Hyatt brand has always been synonymous with luxury. And now was the opportunity to take the product uh, to that level and was not a small undertaking, as you can imagine, with um, the magnitude of the, the construction that has been completed at the site. The project planning, uh, as we began that, it's, it's not often you get to be on the front end of a project uh, and on the back end after the project relaunches. So, so the decisions that have been made, um, all of the efforts into making sure uh, we understood what the guest experience needed to be, what through the restaurants, through the bar experience, through the guest rooms, um, all of that is uh, takes a lot of time, and but detailing to make sure that we go through uh, samples of everything we're putting into the guest rooms. So we create model rooms so that we can experience it and see what works and what doesn't and what needs modifications before we roll it out on scale. Uh, the restaurant seating. Uh, so a lot of the uh, time I spent in the first couple of years of the renovation were definitely in design planning with the with the designers, Sudi Munjay, as well as highest design team and the ownership group, Oxford Properties uh, Design Development Group. And you know, those are a lot of 
fun projects you get to work on when you're when your day your coordinated day is to travel out to a furniture supplier because you're going to sample sit on chairs um it's not very uh, often a gm gets to do that in their career and then sit on those beautiful finished chairs three and a half years later and, and see guests enjoying them so it's been uh, a transition over the over the period of time that it was renovated obviously not ex- anticipated to be that long uh, but in hindsight, all the stars lined up uh, that we were then, as we came into 2021, we were able to really more strategically decide when it was the right time to open versus just the completion of the construction being the, the biggest factor for that decision. So we, we feel very good about the time we were able to come into market, that things were uh, growing brighter and we could actually launch a luxury property. So when you actually started the renovation, refresh my memory, was that 2000, late 2019 or middle of ni- 2019? It was late 17. We took 17. the hotel out on 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay, God, that seemed like a long time. And, then, <laughs> um, and I remember it was supposed to be open for um, the summer 2020 mm-hmm. because we were actually hoping to host our women's conference there. But I know that then there was a delay and then, of course, the pandemic hit and everything else changed. So, as you said, I think um, the timing of the opening, you could have opened earlier, I suppose, but you kind of positioned it so that it was uh, better timing from the pandemic stage. Uh, I, I, I hope I understood that clearly. Yeah, it was through the 2020 year that in trying to pick that timing um, as the construction was wrapping up, um, you know, not having to time it exactly to when the final construction pieces were in play. So um, 2020 would have been, sorry, 2021 would have been the earliest we would have launched, uh, just even with the construction timelines, but uh, definitely being able to pick that date of September 15th was uh, beneficial. All right, and just going back um, a few years before the actual construction started, what is it that precipitated the, the need to have this renovation? I mean, when I look at the Park Hyatt, it's been there for many, many years on that corner, on that uh, premium real estate corner of Toronto. Um, and it was a lovely hotel and it had a great spa. Um, what prompted the, the need to, to want to do something on a bigger scale? Was it just a timing perspective? Was it, um, you know, keeping up with what was going in the city at the time, what was going on in the city at the time? What fueled that? I think there's a couple of factors. So, as we know, the, the luxury landscape in Toronto changed back in 2012, 2013, with the introduction of um, newly built uh, luxury branded properties. That uh, being said, obviously it wasn't instantaneous that we decided to, to complete a renovation. I think it was in combination with uh, the sale of the hotel uh, in 2014 uh, to Oxford Properties Group, who are obviously very savvy in the world of development and had all of the tools and their kit to be able to really evaluate this site to see what the next iteration uh, of this hotel could be, mm-hmm. and then to put together a plan to, to make it happen. So uh, no small feat uh, for what's been accomplished at this property. So it took a group uh, such as Oxford Properties to be able to do that. Um, the goal was to keep the brand, but let's let's bring the product to suit uh, and match the brand uh, expectations from a luxury perspective. And knowing that we are at the best address in the city, there's only one purpose that anybody ever is continues to be a, a hotel accommodations. 
Um, but how did they bring this piece of real estate uh, to a different level that, that made it sustainable uh, going forward as well? So the evaluation of the uses on site between the hotel and the residential rental residences uh, is a, a balance there along with uh, future retail space. So it was really about how to bring this corner to life for Yorkville was the goal and making sure that it's a super activated um, a piece of the, the community uh, mm -hmm. that is really a draw and anchors the end of Yorkville at Avenue and Bloor. So let's talk a little bit about the specifics. Um, how many rooms now in the new property? And um, how different is that from, you know, the number of rooms that were there previously? We originally had 346 guest rooms. Um, the new hotel has 219 guest rooms, which is right size for luxury. Um, we were uh, uh, oversized prior to that and being able to focus our business segments into luxury, um, the luxury space. The other big change, though, is the appointment of the suites. So we have uh, 40 new suites, mm -hmm. um, all which are beautifully appointed and um, specifically built to be, um, uh, well, great functioning suite space. So, so that's the biggest shift, which is important in a luxury hotel. It's important to the park of our success is the clients that are looking to, uh, to book suites. So so it was that combination that um, changed for the guest rooms. And then in the meeting space, we, we had um, 15,000 square feet of meeting space, but the new hotel has uh, just a little bit under that, but again, completely redesigned and uh, very well appointed. So part of the new build of the hotel houses our new ballroom. So we have an entire floor dedicated to the ballroom with pre-function space. <coughs> Excuse me. And we have um, dedicated uh, kitchens to those spaces as well. So the, the location in Yorkville is very uh, supported by social business, mm -hmm. uh, weddings, bar mitzvahs, that mitzvahs. So we have a kosher kitchen as well. So the, the reintroduction of um, a really well-built meeting space that functions very well for the needs of both social and corporate clients uh, has been built into the new design and uh, a new restaurant with 130 seats and a new bar. Uh, which is, in, in a lot of ways, the, the trickiest part of the building was to make sure we got the bar right. <laughs> well, that's such an iconic bar, and so many people really called that home in a lot of ways, right? And still do. We've seen uh, regulars flood back to, the, to, to, to try the new bar, uh, and so far it's been a thumbs up from everybody in regards to uh, the new iteration. That's great. Um, were you able to bring back Joe, the famous bartender? <laughs> no, Joe has not uh, made a return trip, but um, definitely his icon and his legacy will remain for many of our patrons. I'm sure. So, so Bonnie, um, the hotel also encompasses a residential component, you were saying. So how many suites uh, form part of that residence? So the, the residence has 65 uh, suite units and they're uh, rental residential units. Um, they have, they house the uh, majority of the original tower, the South Tower of mm -hmm. the, the building. So the guest rooms are now appointed in the north, north side of the building. I see. Okay. So we're, um, they're on a certain level of like floor numbers. Is it above a certain level of floors or how does it work? Actually, they have the entire tower uh, with the, the entire tower. Okay. The top floor is where the bar and a small meetings room or terrace room is located. Wonderful. And you, you mentioned that you have a new restaurant. I believe it's called Joni. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that. So with the Park Hyatt um, 
the the design concepts behind the park high uh, was sort of a playbook that we were able to give to the new development group to say that this is what ideally the park high brand um, looks and feels like so the restaurant has always been a bit of a living room concept for the park Hyatt brand in that it's somewhere where you're welcoming in uh, people into your home uh, it, it has its place uh, centrally located in the new building so it is an open concept restaurant that is as vibrant and activated so the minute you come in enter the hotel you could either be checking in and have a nice discreet um, check-in to in one direction but you'll hear the vibrancy of the Joni restaurants uh, right throughout the lobby. And um, the design and the architecture of the space is really breathtaking. So it's, it's, it's a bit of eye candy, uh, as I've heard from a lot of photographers that have entered into the space. Uh, they don't know where to start with it, but uh, the warm tones, the furnishings, um, the design has been really well received in the artwork as well. And then uh, we brought... Um, uh, to our team in 2019, our executive chef Antonio Soriano joined the hotel from the Park High Buenos Aires. So he transferred in uh, from Argentina and began working with uh, the groups for building up the concept uh, for Joni. Thrilled with the culinary uh, programming that's been put in place in the space. It has um, it, it has a refreshed modern take, but at the same point is something that's approachable, which is so important in for hotel guests, uh, but as well for the local community that will be big frequenters. And the name Joni, what does that refer to? A little bit of a subtle take on the bohemianism of the, the Yorkville community in the 60s and 70s, for sure. Joni Mitchell? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I wondered about that, yeah. Yeah, the, you know, the arts and culture, I uh, really wanted to bring it into the hotel. Uh, so between the art programming and just making sure the, the, the music culture, there's so much uh, culture uh, historically in Yorkville that just mm -hmm. trying to honor, honor it through different parts of the building as well. That's great. Now, previously, um, you had a wonderful spa in that property, the Stillwater Spa. And I know a lot of people missed that when the, when the hotel closed, including myself. Are you, um, are you doing a new spa? Are you going to feature the Stillwater again? Or is there any thought to what's being done on, uh, on that level? So, so the beloved Stillwater will be back. Um, there is a whole new um, design and a relaunch of the spa that will take place uh, at a future date. Uh, not quite uh, yet determined, but um, there, it will be back at some point. Interesting. Will it be um, on the lower level, um, Bonnie, or will it be in a different floor, on a different floor? Same location. It was probably Same on a lower level. Okay. That's great. Look forward to seeing that. So let's go back a little bit. Um, when, when the hotel closed, obviously you said it was 2017, so none of us had COVID on our mind at that point. And then in 2020, obviously COVID changed the dynamic of every hotel operation, not just in Canada, but around the world. Looking at looking back now at how the hotel was designed in 2017 under a different kind of period, will you be doing anything differently now because of COVID? Um, and, and how will that impact, um, you know, how the hotel has been created prior to, to COVID? I, I wouldn't say that anything significant um, stands out in regards to what we would maybe have done differently with the design. I think um, 
the, the needs of the guest and the, the local community uh, are different. And I think that um, people have, we take our cues from them really in regards to um, how they, the safety measures we put in place apply to everybody, but uh, if additional safety measures need to be in place, we, we take our cues from those guests uh, that maybe need something greater. Um, so, so I don't know that though I would identify anything specific to say we would have designed it differently. I think uh, a couple of things that have really been a success, the design of the Joni restaurant is, is all about uh, well-spaced tables. So <laughs> in this capacity game um, that we've had to get introduced to for a brief time there until this week, um, you know, being able to hear the guest feedback that the safety measures of vaccine passports to come into the space are great. It's a bit of an open air. It's not a closed in space. So it, it makes people a little more comfortable as well. And the, the spacing of the tables uh, that they, they really can enjoy themselves in a vibrant environment, but not having to be next door to someone so closely. Uh, that's probably most of the feedback I've heard that's been actually positive. That's been a plus from the design uh, without intention for COVID, but definitely a plus. Sure. And how about the check-in process? Uh, you know, we've all noticed and heard so much more about checking in through the last two years and um, how things have become a little bit more no contact or touchless. Um, have you incorporated that into the check-in process? Are you doing more of the mobile key, for example? So we have all of those technologies available uh, for the guests. And it's, it's typically through our World of Hyatt program. So if they have the World of Hyatt loyalty program app, they can mobile check in, they can have their key on the, the phone. They can, they can do all those things. Um, I, I think what we're finding though is the high touch points of a luxury experience are still expected. Uh, so again, we take our cues from our guests as we uh, communicate with them pre-arrival, what their needs are going to be and, and sharing that these technologies are available, but that in most cases, I would have to say almost all cases, our guests have been comfortable to check in with um, you know, the sanitization, masking, uh, all of those pieces, and to be uh, escorted to their guest rooms if, if uh, they would like to take us up on that request. Um, so I th there's been a comfort level around that. Um, I think that goes with the Hyatt brand, making sure that they take safety very, um, very strongly as well. So there's always a comfort around uh, the brand, being a part of a brand with a significant emphasis on it. Um, but the, the luxury high touch points I, I find are something that we need to be we need to be uh, hitting the mark on every time because uh, they are starting to return to travel and they have big expectations. So they're celebrating things that they've put on hold for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. it, it, we got to go back to that. They're not quite done with COVID, but they're they're kind of done with COVID. They, they leave the safety pieces to us, but uh, they want to make sure that they get a full luxury experience. And, and from the housekeeping perspective, I know the, the Park Heights always had a very um, strong housekeeping department and obviously strong protocols in place. But have you had to tweak or adjust your housekeeping department protocols to, uh, to now take you know, into consideration the times that we're living in? So we've, we've made sure that as far as the safety and cleaning protocols are all followed so that our employees, um, you know, we don't access a guest room. If a guest is there, we, we give them the options to uh, choose not to have service. Uh, the sanitization of all the spaces, a lot of that training went into that as we launched the hotel. Um, but we haven't really, we've continued to offer twice daily service. And again, most guests are accepting of it. They would, they would like it. Um, I don't think, I don't know if we've had anybody that's declined it. 
uh, very few. So it's, I think it's, uh, we take our cues from our, our guests. We have all of the options available to them, but we wanna make sure that we're not underestimating the luxury experience they're expecting. So you don't think moving forward that luxury experience will change dramatically because of everything that's gone on in the last two years? No, my sense is that it's going to, um, you know, guests are going to continue to have high expectations of what that those service touch points are and making sure that full service is, is a part of our, uh, a part of their experience, but an expectation of us as an operator. And, and on the food service side, to just return briefly to that for a moment, um, have you had, um, have you started promoting different options like more pre-packaging of foods that are ready to go, you know, if people want to do more takeout or a breakfast that maybe doesn't um, require them to sit at the dining room table and, and have breakfast and are there more pre-packaged items available for that? We've actually um, not launched anything except our a la carte menus. Um, so dining experiences in the room, uh, in the in the restaurant or in the writer's room. The, the, the challenge sometimes with, again, what we want the food and beverage experience to be is if it's not great in a box 20 minutes or 30 minutes later, then let's not try and be who we're not um, and try and accommodate things we, we aren't, that aren't going to be the experience and or the uh, level of quality that we would want to be uh, putting out there. So, sure. so we've not um, we've not launched a, a takeout in any way. It's it's dine in, and um, from a guest perspective, again, there's been no requests uh, for anything to be done differently. They they are sitting down enjoying a dining experience, and so we again uh, follow our safety protocols in the restaurants uh, in those spaces but not to, to the point of having takeout or to go put in place. Are you offering room service still? I mean, is that still operational? Yeah. We do. So we have 24 hour in-room dining. So again, that's another guest option. That's a safety option. If they prefer not to dine in an environment, they have 24 hour availability of our in-room dining experience too. So Bonnie, with, um, with everything having changed so much in the last two years, and we don't really know what the world will look like when we get out of this pandemic uh, officially, but are you concerned that with people traveling less and getting used to traveling less, um, primarily from a business perspective, are you concerned at all about what that means for hotels like yours that offer luxury premium product? Um, you know, it seems like a lot of people are doing meetings now through Zoom as we're doing today. Do you worry about that moving forward or is it uh, something that you think will just slowly go back to normal once things pick up? It, it is uh, going to be a long road uh, to recovery for sure. For the, for the whole Toronto hotel industry, it's, um, you know, what we're seeing right now, we can't call a trend because people have just been allowed to start to travel again. So people's travel patterns may fall back into what they used to be. Uh, so I, I give the team here an example of let's not assume a person who from Europe that would come spend 10 nights at our hotel to visit family in the summer isn't going to do so in January instead because they're just not going to wait anymore. It's been two years. They're just going to do it. But in the future, they would probably roll back to their preferred times uh, once they get this first visit uh, under uh, underway. So, so it's hard to tell what the trends look like right now. Corporate is a big gap uh, for the city. It's going to be um, in luxury space. 
Uh, corporate is definitely a, a needed piece of the business for guest rooms as well as small meetings. And it's that what we're seeing is those uh, senior leadership teams are who are starting to meet and do things because they're tra- starting to strategize on how they get their companies the next stage, what it looks like for their companies and organizations. So we are benefiting from those leadership, senior leadership groups that are deciding to have small meetings and stay their traveling again. Uh, but it definitely needs to be on a bigger volume uh, for the whole city to sustain uh, growth to, to what we used to have. The other segments I think that will be a little slow in coming um, are going to be the, uh, the groups piece themselves, but also the individual business traveler. Um, that uh, those meetings that aren't happening at, at offices have no need for someone to travel in and spend the night. So uh, those two combined with with groups not being held in the the same scale and the the individual traveler who's here to meet a group or a company are going to need to come back before the hotel is going to see a strong recovery. Have you, um, do you think you'll be seeing more of that hyper local trend that we saw through the last year and a half as we all started relying more on domestic tourism because international tourism had dried up? Do you see that continuing as a trend or do you see that perhaps not uh, not being as strong moving forward? I think it will phase away a little bit um, because again, people were able to get a fall trip in when it's a nice time to travel hyper-local. Uh, winter, winter is winter. And no matter how much people wanna travel, they're probably going to do it on a smaller scale or a night away in, in their city of choice or close by. Um, but once they get those initial, uh, you know, I can't uh, count the number of celebrations we've had that almost every guest checking in, it's the trip they couldn't go on last year that they're making now, it's the anniversary that dinner they missed, it's the birthday, it's the grandkids, all of those things that are driving them to come now are, are definitely pushing um, some business through, but those things, again, will, will start to phase uh, away a little bit, I think, and we'll have to get back into really sustainable travel from abroad, uh, internationally and, and out of the U.S. as well. I would assume that you've uh, seen some weddings at the hotel with all the weddings that were canceled over the last 18 months. Has that been the case uh, for you? We have. We have hosted two weddings already. Uh, the first one was just uh, within the first couple of weeks of the opening of the hotel, and uh, the last one just on, over the Thanksgiving long weekend. And we had um, definitely our segment of business that has seen the most uh, demand in regards to uh, inquiries all the way throughout this year. So our events team has done a wonderful job at uh, securing a number of weddings for next year already as well. So that has definitely been a positive area for us. Um, and the, you know, the wedding market, I think will be hyper-local for a while. I think they will stay closer uh, closer to home because again, they've waited so long and there's backlogs for a few years. So they just want to really plan something special. And as a new venue, uh, as a new venue, we definitely are appealing. For sure. So when you look at um, what's transpired over the last two years and moving forward now, can you try to, uh, I guess, understand what that new COVID consumer moving out of the pandemic might look like? Do you think the consumer of tomorrow who's been impacted by COVID will change dramatically from the consumer of pre-COVID times? Or, or do you think that's just, you know, too hard to say at this stage? I think in the short term, and that could be another year or two, 
I think we're still going to see caution out of a lot of travelers. Um, and I hear that from our guests that although they've made the choice to travel, uh, they're hyper aware of uh, what they choose to do, whether it's visiting family in close quarters, um, the testing, all of those things that impact their comfort of travel has is on their mind at all times. So I think that's the, the, the positive is that they've chosen to travel and they are uh, that, that first uh, ones to make those international trips. So I think it's going to be in the short phase, the year, next year or so, I think there will still be a, a lot of caution. But I do think that, um, I, I think people's, they want to get back to some sense of normalcy. So it'll be a bit more understated, their caution. It won't be uh, that they choose travel because of X, Y, Z. It'll be when I travel, I'm gonna be a little safer here or there but I feel comfortable in these spaces. Sure. So, so what do you think will be the greatest change that you anticipate for your business moving forward? Uh, in regards to? Well, it could be not specific to COVID, just coming into a new, uh, you know, with a new product and a sure. new time. Um, what do you think will be the biggest change that you will have to deal with as a hotelier? Sure. Yeah, it's been... Um... It's launching a hotel during a pandemic, uh, I think definitely easier than having operated one throughout, but hasn't been without its challenges from a uh, staffing perspective and the workforce, which we all know has uh, taken a, a large hit in the hospitality sector. And, and unfortunately, it also has a long road to recovery. It's not a quick fix mm -hmm. of a matter of months. Um, there's going to have to be some uh, strong thoughts to how, as an industry, we start to rebuild uh, that workforce and that team. Um, we were very fortunate to be hiring during a time where we were able to put a great team in place. Um, that being said, we're not done yet. We have just over 200 employees and we, we need to keep growing as we continue to see our business right. hit, hit those, those levels that we anticipate in the future. Um, understanding uh, this new uh, workforce is going to be um, definitely a, a learning curve for many, um, myself included, as far as how that, uh, what we used to hear before and what we used to think was the answer. There's no answer to anything anymore that, that's, that's um, the majority, I find. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's lots of different thoughts and work-life balance is going to be a, such a big factor for people. So uh, again, the labor workforce in an industry that operates seven days a week, 24 seven, is um, is not easy to find that that balance, but people have had a taste of what work-life balance looks like, and or just balance life balance might not might have been absent of work. It was just life balance, um, and now there's a, a whole different expectation out there in regards to uh, every job, uh, what that's going to be able to offer in regards to it. So you mentioned you hired 200 people to staff the new hotel. Um, were some of these uh, employees that were returning that had worked with you previously, or did you have to start from scratch and hire everybody new? No, luckily we had a large core group that returned. Uh, over 50% of that team returned to the hotel. Yeah. Um, so we were able to sort of quickly hit the ground running with uh, strength in a lot of areas of the building and uh, a great expertise. So uh, so it's about a 50-50 split in regards to new and, and um, re existing so when I talk to operators recently, everybody's complaining about the labor shortages and everybody's worrying about it because it's so severe. And a lot of restaurants, for example, are reducing their hours of operation because they just can't 
find enough people. I was talking to an operator out West recently, and he was telling me that um, their wages have gone up about 15 to 20% in the last two years because they just can't get enough people. What do you think as an operator, the industry needs to do to solve this riddle? Because uh, as we know, Shortages have always been around in, in hospitality. I mean, as long as I've been covering the industry, we've talked about staff shortages, but it seems to be way more pronounced these days. So what needs to be done to solve this moving forward? Because obviously without the staff that the industry needs, you can't run a business. So it's, it's, it's a dire situation. What needs you know, to be done? You know, the... There's always a couple of things that drive people, obviously, to, to want to work for an employer. And, and what I find is that the number one is not necessarily wages and compensation. The number one is the workplace, the culture, um, what it offers someone as far as a sense of purpose. So it's it's keeping that in mind and not always. Um, I think the quick reaction is we pay more, we'll get more. And that, I don't think that's been the case in a lot of case in a lot of situations. I think it's maybe been some retention uh, for some in groups to keep people longer. I don't know that that's necessarily the formula that's going to bring in the the, the volume of um, employees that every operator is going to need. Uh, I do think there's room to evaluate it for sure and um, understanding. What's important? Uh, again, I find it's not necessarily the compensation. It might be time time away. Health their time's flexible. So it's not necessarily the dollar driven items as it is the how their time is spent uh, and what that what what work is paid, uh, how it's paid um, is probably more key for them. the The other thing I think is, um, you know, we obviously have a gap with the schools and the graduations that didn't happen and the student piece. Um, there's all there's a lot more mentoring that's going to need to happen in our industry, and we really need to get back to uh, mm -hmm. the basics as to how do we realize that team members that are starting are coming from a different place than maybe they were before, and there's just so much more mentoring to understand the industry to get them in love with the industry. Uh, sure. That's going to take place. And starting them maybe younger, like through the high school period, where you you try to attract their attention then. Mm -hmm. I know Hotels have done co-op um, practices, and, and that's worked very well for some of them. Yeah, I think it's going to open the doors uh, for, uh, if anything, the operators have all realized there's there's no uh, suggestion that's not something that needs to be pursued heavily and understood versus in the past, we always kind of had a path to get there. I think every path door needs to be open now and see what what works. So Bonnie, as a woman in the industry and a woman who is a GM, and there's not obviously too many women GMs in the industry, although it's better than it used to be, what do you think are some of the barriers that have held women back from um, a managerial position? Um, you know, everybody has an opinion on this, and I know it's improving, but it's still not where it needs to be. What do you think um, are some of those barriers that you have found, and, and how can the industry improve um, getting more women into the industry in management ranks, not so much in the front lines because there's a lot of women there mm -hmm. but in the managerial tasks. Yeah, I think, I think the barriers uh, that have existed, uh, no doubt are heavily weighted on uh, choices with family and choices to 
um, feeling that a choice needed to be made uh, in regards to family or career. Uh, and I think uh, I can think back to many coworkers I've worked with that as they went off on maternity leaves, um, there was a probably a 50-50 chance they weren't coming back. And instead of a 100% chance they will or 100% chance they won't, it was, it was iffy, but in many cases they chose not to and or they would get reintroduced to the workforce later, uh, right. but they weren't on the same career trajectory anymore and didn't choose to be. Um, you know, I think with the shift in, um, you know, the workplace has so many females and female leaders uh, in the workspace now. Companies focusing on that. Um, Hyatt has uh, definitely uh, vocalized a focus on um, sort of marginalized groups that, that for mentoring for career leadership in the Black community, females, women in the workforce, um, to make sure that more emphasis and awareness can be placed on it as well. Uh, I don't know that there's probably been enough communication about it in the past. It was just the flow of the work mm -hmm. career uh, in a female. So right. having the conversations, I think, bring it to light that uh, female leaders learn there's not a choice that has to be made. There's, you can make the choice you would like to make and figure out how to make it work. And as a leader um, and leading through these turbulent times, do you feel like your leadership style has had to change as a result of living through the last 18, 19 months? My gosh, Rosanna, some days right now, I question that I know how to lead at all. <laughs> There's definitely, um, it's, it's a big shift and having uh, my leadership role in the last four years has been on a very, very diminished scale. Um, so now getting back up into a full ramped up hotel. Must be hard. Uh, it's, it's, I feel like everything I used to know about leadership, I, I have to take a step back and go home at night and sometimes go, Ooh, I, uh, <laughs> I need to reevaluate what I think I know because I don't think I know it anymore. And a lot of that has to do with, again, just a very different uh, mindset in the workplace, um, uh, bringing on a whole lot of new mindset at the same time. And uh, it's not small introductions of new, it's, it's mm -hmm. all new. Uh, so there's definitely a change that I see has to happen. And um, the, the key, I, I guess, I've learned about leadership over the years, though, is if you can't stop and evaluate your own strengths and weaknesses, you, you can't expect others to be doing the same for the teams they're leading. So um, I've had a few of those moments already where it's like I need to stop, take a breath and rethink and we need to regroup and strategize a little bit because it's going to be just a different path forward than maybe I've been used to. One of the tough tasks, I think, these days as a leader is also um, all the emotions and layers of complexities that come around vaccination programs and having mandated vaccination programs for your staff. How are you dealing with that huge subject? Yeah, we, we've always followed sort of what the company's uh, expectations are, and, the, and our company's expectations is high at, uh, that we're going to follow the local mandates. Uh, so Hyatt did not implement a mandate uh, as, as a company across the board. And, and I think that was the right decision because you need flexibility uh, to understand your marketplace and what's important in your marketplace as well. So, so the way we've approached it is, um, you know, having the, the team uh, do a bit of a, a self-attested uh, survey just to kind of give us a sense. And Part of that was obviously to get a sense of it, but at the same point, I think it was a comfort level. Um, 
it, it became that topic that no one wanted to talk about, but at least they could say, hey, I am or hey, I'm not. This is my standpoint, but it was not, it was anonymously done. So um, I think there's a the numbers in the city of Toronto help that everyone understands there's such an uptick and uptake on the vaccination programs that I think it just it creates a different comfort level as well. And the new vaccine passports, you know, rolled out very seamlessly in regards to patrons appreciating being asked so they felt more comfortable and safe. So I think not having those bad reactions to those type of programs has helped make it easier for everybody. Okay. So as a way to wrap up, I mean, the industry's gone through so much turbulent change in the last 19 months. How optimistic are you about the, uh, the hotel industry moving forward out of this period? I love this industry. And I do feel like I'm, oh, I'm probably on a little bit of a cloud still because I just got to launch this great hotel that was a lot it's of excitement. Sure. It's exciting. And, you know, when you uh, start to feel the excitement of others, because everyone needs a little excitement in their life right now and, and to look forward. Um, the, I think the future is very positive. As I said, I just don't think it's in the short, short term. I think it's going to be a, an up, a slow uphill climb uh, for the industry. And I, I just, you know, encourage everyone how we, how we make sure that we're, Moving forward, uh, you know, the, the days of being reactionary uh, out of necessity need to get behind us. And we need to be strategic as an industry versus, again, just quick stops to, to make sure we can uh, get that next revenue dollar in. Uh, it's about being strategic. And again, I feel very fortunate to be launching a new hotel that is um I love being able to sit and have a glass of wine or lunch in a, in a space and hear people and uh, be around people again. So you get excited about the socialization that's ahead of us. And I think people are ready for it. That's wonderful. I think you're absolutely right. Everybody is just so eager to get out again and be around people mm -hmm. because of people industry after all. And I guess the last question what have been some of your biggest lessons that you've learned through this period? And I know your situation is a little unique because you weren't in the trenches every day during this period. You were doing, you know, the renovation and the hotel was in a different state. But uh, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned over this last little while? Yeah, yeah, it, it has been very different for sure. Um, you know, at the peak times of COVID, I was working out of my um, home office, uh, adapted bedroom home office, like everybody else was, uh, with a small team of five or six people that we worked through. So, uh, so I definitely, at that time, I think felt relief that I didn't have the weight of the world of an operating hotel on our shoulders. Um, and as we got closer and closer, what I what I learned was you you have to make decisions and stick with them because the opening date, as it was moving it shifts everything, every other decision you make. So do I bring that new team member on yet when the date's not set? Uh, we got caught a couple of times that we maybe didn't have team members on early enough when we finally set the date to, to make sure that the team had all the support they needed. So, so I've learned along the way that make decisions and stick with them. And you know, there's no, you can always adjust later, uh, but make decisions that benefit the team, make decisions that benefit the business. Uh, and then if there's after effects, we'll look at them and view and evaluate versus not make that decision at all. Right. That makes total sense. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Bonnie. I know you're busy now that the hotel is open and I hope, uh, I hope the business and the situation improves radically over the next few weeks as we 
move into the next phase of this pandemic. And hopefully um, it'll be done soon. You know, who knows how long it'll be, but uh, good luck to you and your team. Thanks, Rosanna. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care and be safe. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Checking In Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, hoteliermagazine.com. Until next time.